Welcome to Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert, a podcast sponsored by the Healing Lives Center. Discover how to love and lead your family well and biblically. God created sex, marriage, and the family for our stewardship, growth, and benefit. My heart and passion is to teach, train, educate, and disciple Christians that want strong marriages and families. The Healing Life Center has been serving Christians since the year 2000. Its mission is to be a center for sex, trauma, and marriage education and transformation, where we offer counseling, coaching, courses, and speaking services to you, your church, or ministry. Check us out at HealingLives.com. Hello, it's Dr. Corey Gilbert. Welcome back to our review and looking at Lost in Transnation, a psychiatrist's guide out of the madness. A powerful book. This is chapter five. We're looking at the whistleblower. Um, this is a chapter that um, will show us kind of some inside look at why this is a madness that we need to address. So it starts off with thank God for Jamie Reed. That's a really important name of a person who came out of the mess and has um, revealed a lot. So many of us were aware of the gender clinic mal- mal- malfeasance for years. Finally, in February 2023, so this year, a courageous whistleblower provided an eyewitness account from the belly of the beast. So from 2018 to 2022, Reed worked as a case manager at the Washington University Pediatric Center Center at St. Louis Children's Hospital, where she was responsible for patient intake and oversight. Reed saw around 1,000 patients flood through their doors during her tenure. And so she took the job because I support trans rights and firmly believed I would be able to provide good care for children at the center who are appropriate candidates to be receiving medical transition. Um, this is what Reed wrote. The center's working assumption was that the earlier you treat kids with gender dysphoria, the more anguish you can prevent later on. The, this premise was shared by the center's doctors and therapists. Given their enterprise, I assumed the abundant evidence backed their consensus, which is incorrect. Uh, she assumed wrong. The abundant evidence didn't exist. There were no formal protocols for treatment at the clinic, and the physician the co-directors were the sole authorities. The care she witnessed profoundly troubled her. So Reed self-describes as a queer woman and politically to the left of Bernie Sanders, wow, uh, now married to a trans man. Yet in January 2023, this progressive tattooed pro-trans woman hired a pro-life Christian lawyer and provided sworn testimony to the suit-wearing conservative Republican attorney general of the red state of Missouri. His office swiftly launched an investigation. Um, so what could have propelled Reed to join forces, forces with her political enemies? And um, what pushed her to risk being labeled a traitor to the trans community by her com- compatriots on the left? Reed saw a parade of malpractice and deception inflicted on vulnerable children and their parents that she called nothing less than morally and medically appalling. The following is taken from her sworn affidavit and public statement after she left the St. Louis clinic and exposed the sordid reality of the gender medical establishment. Reed said, One of my jobs is to do intake for new patients and their families. When I started there, uh, were probably 10 such calls a month. When I left, there were 50, about, and about 70% of the new patients were girls, uh, many with no previous history of gender distress. Sometimes clusters of girls arrived from the same high school. Social media is at least partly responsible for this large increase in children seeking gender transition treatment from the center. Many children themselves would say that they learned of their gender identities from TikTok. In just two years, uh, a two-year period from 2020 to 2022, the center initiated medical transition for more than 600 children. About 74% of these children were assigned female at birth. 
So sound familiar? Reed is describing rapid onset gender dysphoria, rogued. Mostly girls, influenced by social media, coming out in peer groups, but the doctors running the clinic clung to the articles of faith. And she quotes, she says, is said, quoting, um, when I said the clusters of girls streaming into our service looked as if their gender issues might be a manifestation of social contagion, the doctor said gender identity reflected something innate. So as Littman described in her 2018 paper, although patients at the St. Louis Clinic suffer from serious psychiatric issues, clinicians rushed to affirm and medicalize. Reed continues, most children who came into the center have serious comorbidities, including autism, ADHD, depression, anxiety, PTSD, trauma histories, OCD, and serious eating disorders. Rather than treat these conditions, the doctors prescribed puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones. There were diagnoses like schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, and more. Often they were already on a fistful of pharmaceuticals, yet no matter how much suffering or pain a child had endured or how little treatment um, and love they had received, our doctors viewed gender transition, even with all the expense and hardship it entails, as the solution. In hundreds of cases, center, center doctors automatically issued puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones without considering the child's individual circumstances or mental health. Uh, reading Reed's affidavit, I wondered, I, Dr. Grossman, how the center represented their practice to parents in need. To be honest, after so many years in the field, I knew their claims and could have recited them in my sleep, um, just for the record from their website. So here's what it said. Gender affirming care is the gold standard of pediatric gender care. Research shows that when transgender kids receive support that upholds their gender identity, they have better mental health. Not receiving that support puts their physical and mental health at risk. Most experts, including our team, believe that puberty blockers are safe. They cite the Hendrickson societies and the W paths support of puberty blockers and inform parents of U.S. Drug and uh, Food and Drug Administration as approved puberty blockers for children um, who start puberty at age, a young age. Uh, again, from the center's website, every person is different, so we work closely with each patient to determine whether hormone therapy is the right choice. Sounds good, right? Well, Reed actually says, one teenager came to us when he was 17 years old and living in a lockdown facility because he had sexually abusing, was sexually abusing dogs. Somewhere along the way, he expressed a desire to become female, so he ended up being seen at our center. From there, he went to a psychologist at the hospital who was known to approve virtually anyone seeking transition. Then our doctor recommended feminizing hormones. Children come into the clinic saying they want hormones because they do not want to be gay. Children come in changing their identities on a day-to-day -day basis. Children come in under clear pressure by a parent to identify in a way inconsistent with the child's actual identity. In all of these cases, and the doctors decide to issue puberty blockers or cross-sex hormones. In one case, a child came into the center identifying as blind, even though the child could in fact see after vision tests were performed. The child also identified as transgender. The center dismissed the child's assertion of blind, about blindness as a somatization disorder, but uncritically accepted the child's statement about gender and prescribed that child with drugs for medical transition. No concurrent mental health care was provided. The clinic has the audacity to claim we will take a personalized approach that addresses your specific needs. But according to Reed, it was anything but personalized. A trans-identified girl with significant autism? Hormones. A non-binary boy with a history of sexual assault? Hormones. Teens who don't want to be gay? Hormones. A boy practicing bestiality who claims to be a girl? Hormones. This is reckless. 
Doctors at the clinic should have been aware of the heated international controversy surrounding their one-size-fits-all model of care. Lippmann urged medical and mental health professionals to hit the brakes, warning the medical interventions like blockers and cross-sex hormones could solidify gender dysphoria that might otherwise have resolved. But St. Louis clinicians acted like the therapists she described. They dismissed their young patients' emotional disorders as well as their parents' concerns. It's as if Dr. Lippmann had witnessed a car pile up on the expressway, families crashing in at 80 miles per hour, she ventured out to the road, waving a red flag. Caution, danger ahead, slow down. Lippmann wasn't out there uh, by herself. Stephen Levine has expressed concern about the welfare of transition individuals such as, uh, such, since the early 80s. In 2009, he noted um, how the rhetoric of many of the field was remarkably certain about the long-term value of gender transition, adding that such certainty requires carefully established, sophisticated follow-up, and these are lacking. Researchers in 2011 and 16 concluded that uh, post-operative patients continue to suffer emotionally and need psychiatric care. In his 2018 paper, Dr. Levine wrote, when clinicians are cheerleaders for transition, their behavior indicates to the patient that this is the best solution. They may lead patients and parents to believe that there is scientific certainty about the wisdom of transition. This is not what the ethical principle of honesty means. In 2019, world-renowned child and adolescent psychiatrist Christopher Gilberg charged that unproven treatment of gender-distressed children is possibly one of the greatest scandals in medical history. Professor Gilberg's neuropsychiatry group of Sweden's Gothenburg University called for an immediate moratorium on puberty blockers because of their unknown long-term effects. Did clinicians at the St. Louis Center even hear Littmann's landmark paper? Did Levine's persistent warnings and many other voices alerting the medical profession? Um, maybe they would have thought a minute and reconsidered their approach. Perhaps they might have informed patients and their parents of the controversies. Maybe some kids could have been saved from the wreckage. Sadly, according to Reed, there was no thinking and no reconsidering. Geriatric skeletons. Reed said this, I have seen puberty blockers worsen the mental health outcomes of children. Children who have not contemplated suicide before being put on puberty blockers have attempted suicide after. Puberty blockers force children to go through premature menopause. Puberty blockers decrease bone density. In July 2022, the FDA issued a black box warning for puberty blockers, the strictest kind of warning the FDA can give a medication. It issued the warning following evidence in patients of brain swelling and loss of vision. Despite this warning, doctors of the center continue their automatic practice of giving kids those drugs. There are very few good data on the use of blockers in healthy children. Most of what is known about them come from their use in adults with disorders such as endometriosis or prostate cancer. Puberty blockers are also used for the rel relatively rare disorder of central precocious puberty. Side effects include mood change, headaches, nervousness, anxiety, agitation, confusion, delusions, insomnia, depression, mood swings, suicidal ideation, early menopause, lung disease, sexual dysfunction, inability to experience orgasms, and genital atrophy. Puberty blockers can cause osteoporosis, the loss of bone density. In Sweden, the puberty blocker induced osteoporosis of a trans-identified young girl sparked a national controversy in 2021. And I could go on and on. This chapter, The Whistleblower, wow. It's just a powerful reminder that we need to be careful who we listen to. 
In March 2022, France joined the UK, Finland, and Sweden in urging great medical caution with the use of puberty blockers. Such an important one. And there's a documentary about it online as well. When a teenager in Texas went on blockers for a year, scans revealed the patient's bone density dropped below the first percentile. Touted by the gender medical establishment as nothing much, just a pause button, it appears that puberty blockers, at least in some instances, give teenagers geriatric skeletons. Very low quality. So the Endocrine Society recommended in 2009, 14, and 17 the doctors prescribe puberty blockers and cross-sex hormones to adolescents, and their stance has become a pillar of the gender medical establishment. But take a close look at their guidelines. You'll discover the evidence supporting their recommendations is ranked either very low quality or low quality. Hormone treatment before puberty, low quality. Puberty blockers in adolescents, low quality. Hormone treatment for under 16 years old, very low quality. Of the 22 recommendations with evidence ratings, 19 of the 22 are rated low or very low quality, and only three are rated moderate quality. Not a single recommendation was supported by high quality evidence. We're supposed to believe gender-affirming care is evidence-based medicine? <laughs> the evidence is terrible. As the Gender Exploratory Therapy Association, GEDA, put it, the low-quality rating indicates that it is unclear whether the benefits of interventions outweigh the risks. Very revealing. Very, very revealing. There's more about Dr. Zucker and um, some other clinics it's important for you to read about. For the gender establishment, puberty blockers are dogma. The doctors better toe the line. It's such a heartbreaking thing. Puberty, by the way, and if you didn't know this, is not a disorder. Puberty is not only about developing breasts or growing facial hair, it impacts nearly all organs and systems of the body. It's a complex biological process that we are far from understanding. That's revealing. Too many of my medical colleagues have forgotten that the body has its own wisdom. That's one of the things that's gotten us into this mess. In 2015, I joined doctors Den Trumbull and Michelle Cretella, pediatricians and leaders of the American College of Pediatricians, ACP EDS, to write a letter to the Journal of Pediatrics. The letter was titled, Puberty is Not a Disorder. And I quote from that, we submit that children who dread the development of secondary sex characteristics are emotionally troubled. In fact, puberty brings relief for the vast majority of children receiving therapy for GID, gender identity disorder because hormone surges propel the development of their brains as well as their bodies, and they come to identify with their biological sex. Mic drop. Puberty is not an illness. We cannot presume that interfering with a complex biological process, such as puberty, turning it on and off synthetically can be accomplished without paying a price. Nowhere could that price be higher than with the brain. I wrote about this 14 years ago in your Teaching My Children. What? And she quotes, herself doing the second decade during the second decade of life and into the third a period of explosive growth and restructuring takes place there's a dramatic metamorphosis of the brain writes a leading developmental psychologist the magnitude of this, these brain alterations is difficult to fathom it's like extreme makeover teen brain edition before puberty your son has the brain of a child it will take about 15 years well and into his third decade of life to develop the brain of an adult. The hormones of puberty, estrogen and, and testosterone drive puberty's explosive growth and restructuring of the brain. 
puberty blockers interrupt a natural process and can have cognitive and emotional consequences. Consider the ability to rationally weigh actions, predict results, and balance pros and cons. The prefrontal cortex is the area of the brain that governs these executive functions. Consider it the CEO of the brain. You don't need a PhD in neurobiology to know the executive functioning of teens isn't the greatest. They easily forget their actions of consequences and just how damaging their consequences might be. The prefrontal cortex is the last area of the brain to fully mature. If it is the thinking and planning part of the brain, the amygdala is the feeling part. It too is transformed by puberty. Over the years, the prefrontal cortex and amygdala develop and integrate. Puberty puts these systems into balance, helping young adults regulate their emotions, control impulsivity, and make better decisions. So how does pausing puberty with blockers affect the development of your child's prefrontal cortex, amygdala, or for that matter, any other part of the brain? We have no idea. What about young adults who were old enough to legally consent to hormones and surgeries, but by their mid-20s have desisted and regret those decisions? The timing suggests brain maturation may have played a role. As three physicians wrote in a letter to Archives of Disease in Childhood titled, Use of Puberty Blockers for Gender Dysphoria, a Momentous Step in the Dark, blockers are now being used in the context of profound scientific ignorance. Think, listen to that. Profound scientific ignorance. <laughs> well said. Don't parents have a right to know? The sole animal study we have su suggests puberty blockers may threaten brain maturation and cognitive maturity. Not only that, but puberty blockers also potentially trap kids in a permanent gender identity crisis. Remember, a majority, in some studies, a large majority of kids grow out of their gender confusion in puberty. Is it due to the hormonal surges, estrogen in girls, and testosterone in boys? Maybe. The point is we don't know. As Dr. Littman observed, medical affirmation may cause persistence of gender dysphoria in individuals who would have actually had their gender dysphoria resolve on its own. So did the medical establishment's dismissal of Lisa Littman in 2018 prevent the doctor supervising Jamie Reed from reading their, her research? Aren't the AAP, ES, and WPATH and other medical organizations obligated to keep gender clinicians informed and up-to-date? Did staff at the St. Louis Clinic hear about Leo's geriatric skeleton? Again, they were either innocently unaware or pur purposely kept in the dark. I was just a kid. Affirming care places children in the driver's seat, aside from perhaps enlisting in the military and some states getting an abortion, I cannot think of another instance of permitting teenagers to make independent life-altering decisions. Chloe Cole, a prominent detransitioner, described with emotion the discussion with her endocrinologist about puberty blockers. It was like, are you aware that you might experience vaginal atrophy? Or are you aware that this may affect your ability to have children as an adult? And I just went along with it. It was like, oh yeah, I know that. I don't plan on having kids. And I also had never had sex at that point, so I didn't know what effect any of that would have on my body. But I was being treated as if I were an adult with the mental faculties to be able to con consent to all this and understand what I was consenting to. Cole paused for a moment, the pain and anger welling up in her voice, but I wasn't. I was just a kid. Dr. Daniel Metzger, an endocrinologist associated with the World Professional Association for Transgender Health, WPATH, acknowledged there's reproductive regret in young adults left infertile from medical transition. I don't think any of that surprises us. It's always been a good theory that you talk about fertility preservation with a 14-year-old, 
but I know I'm talking uh, to a blank wall, he told other medical professionals, observing that their, the patient parents have it on their minds, Dr. Mesker admitted, when we're doing informed consent, I know that's still a big lacuna, empty space. Uh, most of the kids are nowhere in any kind of brain space to really, really, really talk about fertility in a serious way. Yeah. And Chloe Cole and Metzger, Exhibit A, supporting Dr. Stephen Levine's argument in his article, What Are We Doing to These Children? He writes, the consent process for youth, gender, transition is so problematic that it can no longer be considered informed. How does Dr. Metzger justify sterilizing minors when he's aware they have no idea what they're forfeiting? His answer, we still want kids to be happier in the moment, right? This is astonishing. We want kids to be happier in the moment? Ecstasy makes people happier in the moment. So does unprotected sex and driving 100 miles per hour. Honestly, Dr. Metzger, do you have children? Do you allow them to make decisions with lifelong consequences because it makes them happier in the moment? What's come over my colleagues? This is not practicing medicine. Experts around the world agree. The High Court of the United Kingdom. Um, there's no age-appropriate way to explain to many of these children those lo losing their fertility or full sexual function may, seem, may mean to them in later years. The Swedish pe Pediatric Society, quote, given children the right to independently make vital decisions whereby at that age they cannot be expected to understand the consequences of their decision is not scientifically founded and contrary to medical practice. Anthony Latham, chair of the Scottish Council of Human Bioethics, quote, the young brain is biologically and socially immature, tends towards short-term risk-taking, does not possess the ability to comprehend long-term consequences, and is highly influenced by peers, he concluded. Children cannot consent and therefore should not be asked to consent to being treated with puberty blockers for gender dysphoria. Yet, like Leo's parents, many are misled by experts in white coats claiming puberty blockers are safe and reversible. After all, hospitals, establishment, medical organizations, and even the federal government all say the blockers safely pause puberty. It's not true. This is from Reed. It says, the doctors at the center tell the public and tell parents of patients that puberty blockers are fully reversible. They really are not. They do lasting damage to the body. You cannot pause puberty without a price. It's a biological process, not a song on Spotify. How high is the price? Ask me in 10 to 20 years. Reed quotes, the center tells the public and parents of patients that the point of puberty blockers is to give children time to figure out their gender identity. But the center does not use puberty blockers for this purpose. Instead, the center uses puberty blockers just until children are old enough to put on cross-sex hormones. Doctors at the center always prescribe cross-sex hormones for children who have been taking puberty blockers. The St. Louis Clinic is no outlier. 98% of kids on blockers go straight to the next stage, testosterone for girls and estrogen for boys. The danger of synthetic puberty. Gender-affirming care, GAC, rests on the assumption that a synthetically induced so-called opposite-sex puberty has the same effect as one that's natural. And where's the evidence for that? You're aware that puberty changes every body system. But let's center on the brain. Where are the yearly brain imaging studies and psychological and cognitive evaluations of youth whose hormone levels are abnormally elevated due to gender-affirming care? A girl's testosterone should not be over 45 NGDL. A boy's estrogen should not be under 40 PGML. But girls on T might have levels up to 700 
NGDL and boys on E up to 200 PG. While the boys' estrogen levels are sky high, their T is decreased to below 55 using an additional medication. Their brains are exposed to these abnormal levels during the most critical time of brain growth and restructuring since the womb, where, as you learn in chapter three, the fetal brain was placed on either a male or female trajectory. So where are the studies? There are none. In 2019, the Endocrine Society concluded, the only evidence-based indication for testosterone for women is for the treatment of hypoactive sexual desire disorder, a low sex drive, and that there are insufficient data to support the use of testosterone for the treatment of any other symptom or clinical condition or for disease prevention. Also, the safety of long-term testosterone therapy has not been established. <laughs> but in gender-affirming care, patient autonomy comes first. No gatekeeping for doctors allowed. It's one of the articles of faith. If your daughter wants testosterone and your son estrogen, there are few or no obstacles. So heartbreaking. Reed continues more testifying of, of some very scary um, stories right straight from the clinic. Of um, you, You'll just need to read them because they're, they're rough. They're rough to even read. In males, cross-sex hormones can lead to decreased muscle mass and strength, decreased sexual desire, decreased sperm production, voice changes, decreased testicular volume, erectile dysfunction, infertility, deep vein blood clots, stroke, coronary artery disease, and cerebrovascular disease. Compared to untreated men, men on cross-sex hormones are 46 times more likely to get breast cancer, twice as likely to have a stroke, 16 times as likely to have deep vein clots. As compared to women, they are two times more likely to have a heart attack. The list is just as awful for women on testosterone. They face hair loss, elimination of menstruation, deepening of the voice, severe acne, high blood pressure, high cholesterol, and increased risk of type 2 diabetes, um, erythrocytis, which includes symptoms of blurred vision, headaches, confusion, high blood pressure, nosebleeds, itching, weakness, and tiredness, cerebrovascular disease, hypertension, pelvic pain, and uterine cancer. Past mirrors to detect early cervical cancer are more than three times more likely to be unsatisfactory. That means less likely to detect cervical cancer. One systematic review of 76 studies showed that while females on testosterone develop breast cancer less often than other females, in the former group it occurred 20 years earlier than expected, even though most had mastectomies before the diagnosis. There have been reports of intracranial hypertension in women on testosterone. This is an uncommon cause, a severe headache that can cause visual loss from damage to the optic nerve. As compared to women, not on testosterone, those treated with testosterone are almost, almost four times more likely to have a heart attack. As compared to men, they are four times more likely to have a stroke. Clots in the veins, which can cause life-threatening pulmonary embolism, are five times more likely to happen in women treated with testosterone. We have a generation of sterile, frustrated Gen Zers. Gender-affirming care calls for blockers at the first sign of puberty. As mentioned, when followed by cross-sex hormones, the result is infertility. To mature and be viable for reproduction, sperm and eggs, gametes, require the testosterone and estrogen surges of natal puberty. Blockers followed by cross-sex hormones prevent eggs and sperm from reaching full maturation, making reproduction impossible. Keep in mind as well that with early hormonal interventions, your sons and genitals will never appear normal. He will forever have a micropenis, and according to gender-affirming surgeon Marcy Bowers, he will not be able to orgasm. This is guaranteed. Can all this be reversed? Stop the blockers and synthetic hormones and allow the natural ones to kick in? 
we don't have the answer because close to 100% of kids put on blockers continue to cross sex hormones. Sure, your teen may know all about reproduction and sexuality, but he or she can't fathom the implications of infertility. As Reed put it, after working at the center, I came to believe that teenagers are simply not capable of fully grasping what it means to make the decision to become infertile while still a minor. This is insane. Parents, if you allowed your child to go on puberty blockers, you are closing the lid on the biological grandchildren coffins because they have a chance to be before they have a chance to be conceived. We doctors must focus on the big picture, your child's long-term health and well-being. In an interview, the Admiral even shared, if I transitioned when I was young, then I wouldn't have my children. I can't imagine a life without my children. It's so crazy. So like the Admiral was talking about bio biological children. Can't imagine life without them. And is grateful for transitioning life later in life. But Admiral, don't you see? Your fervent endorsement of gender-affirming care is creating a generation of sterile young adults. Children for me, but not for thee. Wow, we hurt this kid. Quote from Reed. The center refuses to track complications and adverse events among its patients, and the center actively avoids trying to learn about these adverse events. On my own initiative, I have tracked some patients on a case-by-case -case basis, but the center discouraged me from doing so. I wanted to track the number of our patients who detransition. I wanted to track the number of our patients who have attempted suicide or committed suicide. The center would not make either of those tracking systems a priority. We should be tracking desistance and detransition. We thought the doctors would want to collect and understand this data in order to figure out what has they have missed. We were wrong. One doctor wondered aloud why he would spend time on someone who was no longer his patient. Wow. We spend time on former patient. Why spend time on a former patient? Because doctor, you're treating your current patients with the same risky approach. It's my belief, according to Reed, that the center does not track these outcomes because they do not want to have the report them to the new patients and because they do not want to discontinue cross-sex hormone prescriptions. The center never discontinues cross-sex hormones no matter the outcome. We are hurting our children. Reed points out that today, against reason, we witness the reverse. Doctors take youth with normal genitalia and with treatment cause them to appear abnormal. This is heartbreaking. Thank you for tuning in to the Healing Lives with Corey Gilbert podcast. It has been an honor to serve. If you are struggling, have questions, or in need, Dr. Gilbert offers a free consultation for new clients. Check us out at healinglives.com to book a call. If this has been helpful to you, please share it, leave a review, and help us get the word out so that we can see lives changed, marriages transformed, and more people come into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. The Healing Lives Center offers online courses, programs, books, intensives, and other services to help you live biblically and well. Discover more resources on YouTube and in Dr. Gilbert's Healing Marriage Facebook group, The Healing Marriage.